Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby, episode 17 of the podcast. And today we are joined by uh, our PR guy, SID, Chris Foreman. Chris, what was the, what's the actual title we just talked about? It's Athletic Communications Director. Athletic Communications Director. There we go. So we will uh, touch base with Chris a little bit later again, some detail about his role with the team and what he does to promote our student-athletes. Uh, but before we get to that, and Chris, feel free to jump in here, we're going to kind of look back at the previous four games and then look back at uh, Tuesday's big win against Indiana, uh, in which Purdue claimed its 23rd Big Ten championship. Before we get to that, I would like to extend a, a quick uh, shout-out and thank you to Julie and Tim, our good friends down in South Carolina, our fellow lovers of history. They dropped uh, Larry and I a great note and a wonderful gift in the mail. We just want to say thank you very much for for uh, their course, kind words. Of course, we want to tell you we're going to have to send it back because under our contract, we're not allowed to accept free gifts. <laughs> that is that is not accurate at all. In fact, <laughs> we welcome yeah, we any welcome. and all. Yeah. It's also obvious if you give someone a shout-out, you're also expecting <laughs> stuff to come in the mail. So. Exactly. Well, they, they, we, were, we uh, were very touched by their, their note to us and uh, appreciative of, of them listening to us and all the people who have uh, tuned us in um, for this podcast it's been a lot of fun to do and obviously uh, speaking of a lot of fun the the recent run that uh, the boilermakers have been on has been fun um we ha- we talked to jay billis last week in episode 16 and we didn't discuss any games in the episode so kind of looking back we had that week of home games with rutgers here and michigan state here uh, not to go into too much detail on each of those games but the one thing i wanted to talk about that michigan state game was how it was a Saturday afternoon, great atmosphere, as all our games have been in Mackey this year. But we, we showed up to that game, and it was such a workmanlike performance um, by our team. And I made a comment to a couple people afterwards that it, we just kind of sh- showed up and handled business. And normally when the Spartans come to town, you know, it's and it's still a highlighted game. But I was very impressed with the way our team just kind of seemed to go through that game in a workmanlike way. I think the biggest surprised to me with some comments after the game as you know that first half was uh, played rather quickly and it was I thought played well thought it was officiated well but what happened was of course in the second half uh, Michigan State decided to use the old foul strategy and we had just a lot of foul shots and it just stopped the game really I mean because Purdue was pretty much in control the entire game and then, you know, you had people uh, actually leave the place and say, well, you know, the second half wasn't much to look at. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, come on. Right. <laughs> what can you do? What can you do to really please somebody? I mean, it was it was perfectly done. You took care of them in the first half, kept it on in the second half, never were in real trouble. And you beat a, you know, quality program and you sweep the season series. So pretty good to me. I don't care how it looked like. I, yeah. th- I thought what was really neat is that you try and see how teams try and guard you from the first game to the second game. Yeah. And then, you know, you have to pick your poison because, you know, they changed from half to half, it seemed, and how they're going to approach it and, you know, how Purdue adjusted to it was really was really uh, good to see and just, you know, how we attacked it differently each half. And I think you hear some of the national commentators when they talk about our team and a lot of people produce a pretty popular pick among some of them as a Final Four type contender team. And one of the things they always talk about is the versatility that that we've shown and the fact that we can beat you on the block or when our guys get shooting the ball well, uh, we can beat you in that area as well. And um, yeah, you're right. I mean, as Michigan State, one of those teams we played twice this year um, and and one of those games where it wasn't exactly the way it was up in East Lansing. And as we go into the third game of that series, the Penn State game, uh, another another opponent that we've already faced once this year, as we went over to, to Happy Valley, um, that was another game that, you know, was a, a lot different than it was here in Mackey and a lot closer. And, and uh, it was good to find a way to, to get another close victory there at Penn State. Well, I thought it was uh, late in the game. I thought we had the game won. Then we lost that lead late. Then I thought we had the game lost. Then when the overtime started, I thought we had the game lost. Then somehow we won. It you, was great. You probably, you probably, <laughs> you probably thought, 
I think when we started overtime, they got a foul, a three point opportunity. And that's when it was like, oh boy, here we go. Because yeah. and they had scored eight straight. Yeah, we couldn't stop Tony Carr. No, just bang, bang, bang. And he had eight. You know, I think he had all those baskets down the stretch. And he actually had one that uh, didn't count because they called a timeout. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, and we just didn't have an answer. And uh, I know, I've always, I've always wondering what. And you, we hear from some of them, whether it's just people that I know, fans that I know, or family members that watch the game, and they always, hey, great game. Hey, what was the deal with Carr down the stretch? Why didn't we do something different? And I can tell you on the bench, you know, you're trying to make adjustments on the fly, and it was discussed over there. Do we put somebody else on? Do we change it, how we guard it? Um, you know, the I think it was one of those situations where no matter what, you're, what you went with, they were he was probably they were going to him there was no doubt about it and it's one of those things where if you put a different guy on him he probably gets around him to the basket he didn't get around pj he just used his size to go over pj and we just let him get too deep but that was certainly impressive an impressive performance by him he, penn state's going to be really good in the next couple of years they don't lose anybody off that team for next no, year No, they keep if they keep everybody together they're gonna they really will be a good team yeah they're going to be really good but that is what that's a that game um, we've had a lot of close ones at Penn State, and we talked about it leading into that game because there was a lot on the line, and, and the rest of the league is watching that game on a Tuesday night, uh, you know, hoping that we stumble. And I thought the I think the one thing that always pops up at Penn State is, unlike our games at Michigan State, Indiana, Maryland, when we were able, even though those were close games, and we were able to come out with victories in all of them. In those games, you're playing in front of. Large arenas, but they're full arenas, and we've we we've seen this from time to time at Penn State, where the crowd sizes aren't as big. No, really, most of the time. And you, it's not really yeah. time to time. It's most of the time, especially midweek. I mean, you're just not going right. to have a crowd. Well, and you forget it was a six o'clock game too. Yeah, and that's which, the other, yeah an know, early it's a, tip, a little earlier tip, and it's just it's it's a tough atmosphere because it is not you know your typical atmosphere. But yeah, here's, you, here's my theory on that, though. I, I I tried to come up with that all last week. Why are they so tough to beat there? Other than the fact that you know they're getting better, but when they weren't very good, they were tough to beat there. And I really think it is when you go out there and you're used to going to Maryland or IU or Michigan State, Iowa, wherever you go in this league. Other than there, you you're, you've got to have some adrenaline pumping because. The crowd's got you. Plus, right. they're screaming at you and they're calling you every name in the book. And you get—I mean, you're you're getting into it. And our guys enjoy that. They get well. They, yeah, they I think anybody does. But right. the but the thing is, when you when we go out there for that, it's like you now have come down to a lot of the adrenaline push is gone. It's not that you want it to; it's just not there. Right. Then they have obviously their advantage is knowing their rims and, and that. You know, playing at home, playing in the same atmosphere all the time, and I think it just brings you down to whatever crowd level that is. And it does. I it, think it does zap some energy. I don't think there's any question about that. And if they start well, like they did, then you just and then you're just playing you're playing uphill the rest of the game, and then you just just does things just don't work out real well there. And I know the coaches were frustrated because a lot of the pregame talk focused on we got to get off to a good yeah, start. Right. We have to have a lot of energy out of the gates. And it was all predicated on that all, what we're talking about all, off of the history in this building. And so when you start the game and you're down like we were, boy, that was so frustrating. They came that first How about time that out. that second half? And Coach was so mad. How about the start of the second half? Because I wasn't there for the halftime discussion. But I can imagine, and you know, it was like dunk, dunk, dunk. And we, and, yeah. And I mean, they weren't. I mean, nice dunks. I mean, they weren't like come. I mean, it was like take this. Take and and, you, and I, you know, coach is, is coach Painter is very calm in huddles for the most part. Um, but when you get beat on effort plays, and they had such a, a dominant performance on the glass in that game. And he had some some choice words in, in a couple of those huddles in the first half with some guys, and it was it was needed. And and that's the one thing I think the coaches can live with. You know, guys make tough shots on you, or things like that. But when you get beat in effort, that's the stuff that that drives you nuts. And uh, our team found a way. They rallied and and found a way to get it done. And obviously, a huge win. It was a, a very happy flight home. Um, and then. 
had some time to regroup and then we go up to Michigan on Saturday and that I think we ran to a buzzsaw up there and uh, that was when a guy comes in averaging 20 or 12 and he has over 20 at the half um, you know you're well I you know, thought he's I, in, a, in a zone I equated it to the Minnesota game which I thought was an outlier at the beginning of the year here and uh, it's the only game we lost at home in the Big Ten and the second loss the other one to Bill Nova which wasn't a terrible loss but both those games one went to overtime that game the minnesota game and then of course the other game was a three point one possession game but um yeah you i mean if you, if they don't miss a shot i think one time 17 to 28 or 18 to 27 one of those numbers whatever number it was it was a bad number and uh and when duncan robinson hit that shot at the end of the first i was okay with it being 42 30 Right, he, I he, thought it was you know, pretty good for what we. And when he given hit that up. shot, that 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 kind of hurt. Huge shot. Well, and, you know, you look at it too. Going to the second half, Derek Wal or uh, yeah, Derek Walton hits that one with the shot clock winding down. About, We're down big, six, six, big shot, of the six game. with yeah. two two minutes it was left. Two sixteen left, and I what I and was we had, and we come and, back from a twenty two point yeah, deficit. Yeah. So and he not, hits that shot, and you're like, oh, yeah, that just, was a dagger. I was I was. I would have been very interested to see how that would have played out yeah. oh, if he too. misses yeah, that shot too. because we, we were, were getting that rebound. Yeah. And now you're coming down, down six with two two to go. And if you score there, it's a two-possession game anyway, but if you score there and get it down to, th- two, to four, possibly three, Boy, and they were puckering a little bit. Yep. I thought. I no, thought I they were a little tight. That, it, was, that, was one of the best, that was one of the key shots of, of it, the entire yeah. Big Ten season. And yeah. Because yep. if anybody who saw the game saw it. he lost his dribble had to go back to get it <laughs> right and then dipped inside and, and pj did the right now pj's done this before where he's fouled a guy with one second left on a shot clock yeah we could not afford to foul there and and you didn't even know if it was a three-point attempt because they had to look at it because he lunged forward but i'm saying there's no way you make that shot oh, i yeah. mean I, I raved about that shot because that's one of the best shots i've seen all year well and he's had a great year he's probably a first team all big 10 guy um the way what he's done for that team really uh, has 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 them playing well i thought i thought another thing coach painter said in the media afterwards he said you know people ask him about what well, did you think about dj wilson and wagner you know and how you'd match up with them and he said well you know you come in wilson's the better shooter and the right. better player, right. so you know, and then they so they put Biggie on on Wagner, and you know Wagner well, goes and off, and you, you shut down Wilson pretty good, and then and what do you do? You watch you, what you do is you watch the next game that he plays, and it's happened to us all year. You yeah. look at him, you say, "That's the guy that <laughs> no you know, doubt that's the guy that destroyed us," and that I mean that just happens. And look, you know, Indiana say the same thing about Dakota Mathias. Mathias is a good player; he can score the ball, but put 17 on you in the first half and misses right. one shot, you're going to say from a coaching standpoint, nah, I probably can live with Matthias right. shooting. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the I think the what what I take away from the Michigan game um you know, if you if you go to the theory that we ran up to a bus saw up there, I think the best thing that came out of Michigan was what was said in the locker room after, and that was coach getting the guys together and saying, "Look, we're going to put this in our rearview mirror as quickly as we can. We're going to watch film when we get back, and we're going to we're going to have some takeaways, and we're going to learn from it. But at the beginning of the year, if somebody would have told you that you have two games to play in the Big Ten, Indiana at home and at Northwestern, and if you win one of those games, you win the Big Ten, or if you win both those games at that point, because Wisconsin hadn't lost to Michigan State yet. If you win those two games, you win the Big Ten. Would you have taken it? And all the guys kind of shook their head, and he goes, darn right, you'd take it. So – it was. I thought it was smart of, of him and the coaches to discard that game as quickly as possible. Learn from it, not not totally erase it from your memory, but also move on. Well, you said you would you'd pass some information around when we were up there about this uh, Penn State writer in the preseason predictions, and and the guy's been around a while. It's not like he's in his first year. Right. He picked us eleventh. Right. In our league, eleventh, and pretty much the way he structured everything wasn't wasn't totally off base you know they were questioning our backcourt and whether we had any leadership back there we didn't have a rim protector anymore in AJ you know no one knew how good Caleb would be uh in 11th <laughs> and we just and we just got a share of the championship the other night that I mean that's amazing when you really think about it so those kids probably if 
coach said that to him was probably saying, yeah, he's probably right. We probably wanted to be there. Uh, were we going to be there? Uh, so, and, and I thought they came back and got ready for Indiana in pretty good shape. Well, yeah. the last thing about Michigan, I think when the schedule came out in August, September, like we looked at that game and we're like, Phew, that's going to be a tough one up there. Yeah. Senior yep. day, you know, up in yep. Michigan, they're going to be a yeah. good team. We, we knew going in that that was going to be a really difficult game. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I, it, it was it was a good quick it was a quick turnaround and in some senses that's a good thing to get to get back on the court as quickly as possible it just happened to be for what was one of the greatest stages in Purdue basketball history to be able to have a chance uh, with Wisconsin losing on that Sunday at Michigan State to be able to clinch the regular season championship at home against your rival on national TV and anybody who was in the building on Tuesday night um, that was one of the all-time greats I think uh, and coach even we said at shoot around coach Painter looked at me and said I think tonight's got a chance to eclipse them all in my time here as head coach meaning the best atmospheres we always talk about the West Virginia game Ohio State when we beat them when they were ranked number two in the country when, with Etuan Juwan having a great games uh, so many of the games throughout the, you know, Juwan, Robbie, and, and Etuan. Yeah, Michigan State at the time that they. Yeah, the game day game when yeah, they were here on yeah. that Saturday night. Uh, those are kind of the games that come to mind. And this game, uh, or this environment, lived all up lived up to that and blew, it, blew a lot of those out of the water. Well, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but at least I have a, you know. But I you have, will. I have you a, will. Well, I have a history <laughs> lesson here. And, and I, you know, I looked it up because we have a running count on how many games I've done, but. It was my 1,085th game as a play-by-play announcer the other night. And, and when I was driving over here, you know, I was driving over the game um, about 4.30 in the afternoon, and I, I couldn't help but think, this has never happened before. Never. Never. Right. And, and I've been here 40 years. So I've never been part of it. And, and, man, that was such a thrill because you – and, you know, I was nervous. I mean, I was really nervous. Right. I mean, I was really nervous. And I don't get that nervous anymore. You know, I still feel it, but I, because it wasn't a one and done. It's not like a tournament game. But right. Man, that was that was that was really special. And then how it all played out was even better. So yeah, I thought the environment was as good as any I can remember. And there's quite a few that would would rival it, but it was it was really sensational. And some great lines said during the TV broadcast too. Um, you know, Dan Shulman and Dan Dockich both had some great lines about Mackey and the atmosphere and everything. Um, which was great because I think we all, Purdue fans know what we have here. They know what we have in Mackey and how special it is. to. But but on the national scene, sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle. And I'm telling you, I've been in all of them. I've, I've worked at, in a couple of them. Um, and, yeah, this is as, as, yeah, yeah. and this is as good as it gets. I mean, it, it's, it's a special place when it's rocking like that. Well, Molly McGrath, the sideline reporter, comes to me during, you know, midway through the second half, and she goes, this place is – Incredible, you know. I mean, she's been here before a couple games, right? But never for that, yeah. And she's like, I mean, she's like, it's unbelievable. She's like, I can't get over how loud and how intense it is, and just, I mean, it's intimidating. And my ev- my evidence was, uh, you know, that we have the beauty of wearing headsets during the game, and that muffles the noise, no matter how loud it is. And I told, you know, I told both Wes and Rob and Ralph, I said. I mean, I got a headache. I mean, I have a headache, <laughs> and I'm having trouble. Uh, and for the first time in my career, I was having trouble really projecting over the crowd. And no matter how I played with the with the audio, and in unison, the other guy said, "My head is killing me too." So I mean, it was like we all had headaches after that game was up. And I have never been. I, and I'm old, and I get that, but I have never been so exhausted after doing a two-hour game. Well, it was I hot was, in there, too. Hot. I mean, I was, I, it was so warm in there and the humidity level. And I said something in pregame warm-ups. I was standing out there waiting on Indiana to turn their starting lineup in so I could go back and tell the coaches who was starting for them. And Spike was warming up, and I pulled him aside. I said, boy, this is this this heat's got to feel great on your old bones. And he started laughing. He goes, you know, it really does. He goes, I feel really good tonight. I'm, really, I'm a little extra loose. And then he stopped me, and he goes, hey, let me ask you something. He goes, how loud's he going to be? I said, "Well, you'll see." And he goes, "Because we ran out of that tunnel for our first warm up." He goes, "And it's out of control." Like and that he, was thirty minutes before. Yeah, and he was so excited, like to play, be able to play in that. And I think it even the guys know it. I mean, as many times as they've been through it, on a game like that, there's just that extra buzz in the air, and you could feel it from the moment you walked in the doors. I even I ran, I took a jog that afternoon through campus, 
and campus was buzzing. And yeah. it wasn't exactly a beautiful day out. No. But there were, the, you know, the fraternity houses were playing their music a little louder. Guys were out on the lawn. I mean, there was, it, there was a buzz on campus for sure. And then to be able to end it the way we did, uh, and kudos to our entire uh, marketing department and fan experience area. Uh, the, everything from the confetti to the music that was played, the trophy presentation, senior night, it all was was perfect. Really and good. we had so many compliments come in from fans and alums that said that we're here uh, in the building that just raved about the whole performance. So I w- wanted to make sure that they got a little shout out because everything was was done in a in a first class way. So, Chris, I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of that area because you play a role in a lot of this stuff. Um, I know that it's impossible to give a quick explanation on what exactly all the areas you handle, but for our listeners, just talk a little bit about your role on the team and kind of the the areas that you kind of oversee. Okay, well, I'm the liaison basically between the team and the media, um, what you see out there in the media, social media-wise, everything. Um, so like we handle with the media every day, they'll it, Media will come to us, ask for interviews. We arrange it, set it all up, get that done, report on it, post on the web, do stats, do social media graphics, videos, come up with ideas for that. Um, Basically, just everything that we do to promote the team kind of comes through me and and our office. And it... The, I mean, your area, and, and, and anybody who's been around collegiate athletics over the last 20 years, um, I don't think there's been an area that's changed more than oh. what it what used to be called athletic public relations here, then sports information, has changed so much. And well, let's face it, most of it has to do with technology and social media yep. and some of the video areas that have popped up. You're, you, you collaborate a lot with our video area, but all that whether it's graphics, video, it's all leading to the social media part. Yeah. And you spend an enormous amount of time on, on the y- social yeah, media. Yeah, my wife tells me too much. So um, <laughs> that's an issue. She's like, you're always on Twitter. I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of a hobby or something. So, um, yeah, I don't even remember what my job was 10 years ago, to be honest. Yeah, I, mean, I You know, I don't remember what I did during the day because now everything we do is geared towards social media and getting our, our brand out there and our name out there and, um, you know, it's just kind of evolved in that way that video and graphics and photos are what people want to consume now. So um, well, it's changed a lot in the last five years. And I'm going to brag on you here because I know you won't do it yourself, but he, Chris basically runs our, our Twitter handles, Boilerball. And I, in, the, in our office, we pay a lot of attention to our, our competitors and our peers and other programs. And I will say that I don't, at least the ones that I follow or check out on a consistent basis. I think they're all running second place to the Boiler Ball account, and I know that that is the account you're talking about that you spend so much time on. Uh, but if you follow us on Twitter, the amount of information, the amount of just cool stuff that pops up on that, whether it's behind-the-scenes video, whether it's game day information, whether it's post-game stats, uh, there's a plethora of stuff on there that if you're a Purdue basketball fan, I I'm amazed sometimes when somebody asks a question like, hey, what what channel is the game on Tuesday? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, of all the places you can find this stuff, you don't know when, what time the game is or where, where it's going to be televised? I think he's talking about the veteran sports. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell Clisby, it's on ESPN. No. So, <laughs> but it's amazing how much content you are just constantly churning out. And, again, if you're a fan and you follow that, I mean, it's gold. And – you know, I'll be honest, after the game on Tuesday, I got home and I was up an extra two, three hours just surfing around social media because you want to see what everybody's saying yeah, about I, your team and your program. So I got home from the office Wednesday morning about one fifteen. I left at 1 o'clock, one fifteen. storms, you know, coming and stuff. So yeah. that wasn't going to aid my sleep any either with the kids coming into my – anyway. Um, but I just got home and I laid in bed and I'm just sitting there with my thumb just scrolling through everything, yeah. trying to find anything that – you know, said anything about us and stuff. So I finally got to sleep probably about 3.30 and woke up about 5.45 and got on my Back phone on. and did the exact same thing. So well, I want to be the guy that officially says, Chris, to you, Elliot just gave you a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is a first. So. <laughs> 
So what are you trying to say? I think I think you're trying to say that I'm the guy that keeps people humble around oh, the program. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Keep us grounded. Yes. <laughs> the grounder. And, and it's not just him. You're right. <laughs> well, I, Chris knows I'm a big fan of what he does for us. And um, you talk about Twitter. We're also out there on Instagram, Facebook, um, and the people you work with, too. Talk about where those ideas start and whether that might be um, – a video, a graphic that gets done. Talk about that process, who initiates it, where it comes from, et cetera. So a lot of what we'll do, um, Kylan Scheid in our video department and Corey Palm, they kind of come up with some ideas, you know, video-wise. But a lot of it starts basically after the game. Um, you know, say Tuesday night. We had kind of had a plan in place for Tuesday night, so I shouldn't use that as an example. But maybe the week before against Michigan State you know we have a plan stuff happens during the games and you know stats happen things happen and that night I'll think of stuff usually laying in bed and uh, Paul Sadler will joke around that he'll get like six emails from me (laughs) from like 1 a.m. just with ideas for graphics so the next you know I send him an email and he builds it and you know that's what we do and then video wise um, I think we've done a really good job the next day we do a kind of a looking back thing and Kylan shoots it with her camera, and it's, I mean, I think they're phenomenal. The Indiana one, I got five seconds into it, and I had chills from it. So it's, um, you know, we, we have a great department that we work with. Paul Sadler, Kylan, Corey Palm, uh, Corey Wonderly, Matt Tornquist, all those guys in the creative suite. They do a great job for us, and, you know, really, we're, we're a team. I just kind of relay the information they build it, and I relay it. So, um, you know, I, I th- I'm pretty proud of where we've come with, Boilerball on Twitter and Instagram, and in the in terms of the followers on Boilerball, where does that rank in terms of you know the national landscape? It's I mean it's probably top thirty, top forty. Um, you know I mean Purdue's been like that a lot. We're trying to get our name out there a lot more, but you know we have a really loyal fan base. Um, but we're trying to get out there more on the national scene, and it's helping. You know we've been last year we were mentioned as one of the top you know, social media accounts to follow. So those, when national people start doing it and saying it, it helps quite a bit. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're really proud of the stuff that we put out. We think it's really good. And the engagement is really high with the people that follow us. So um, we're just going to keep doing what we do and, and try and build it better. Well, and if you're listening and, and you are on Twitter, make sure you're following Boilerball again for the content, but also, you know, get our numbers up and, and get the word out on, on what is going on with our program. We really haven't asked Chris uh, yet, but just give us a little bit of your background before you ever got to Purdue, where you're from, uh, how old you are, because we're not well, on know, video we, here. I don't know if we need to talk about his age, but we can certainly talk about his background. Well, uh, is he is he opposed to telling us his age? He's a brilliant man, and he's <laughs> still young. Well, why don't we just ask him his political affiliation and religion while we're at it? Okay, we won't. We won't. <laughs> no, I'm just see, kidding. I, mean, I told you. We're not going there you with divulge, this podcast. You divulge what see, you I told want, you. Chris. See what we did? I got him right where he yep. normally is. Yep. <laughs> We, we, I thought we were avoiding politics and yeah, religion true. here on this yeah, spot. That's true. Go ahead. Um, well, I was I was born in Nebraska. Bloom always says I'm from Nebraska, and he gives me a really hard time about it. <laughs> it's a running gag. It, it's a running gag with the team. They make fun about corn, you know, just the farms, everything. <laughs> and so, it's and it's glorious. It's um, so funny. So I, I was I was raised in Iowa, Western Iowa. Went to uh, went to a D three school right outside Des Moines. Went to grad school in Minnesota. Got a job at the University of Massachusetts right around 2000, um, or 2002, 2002 to 04. Then got a job at the Naval Academy, was there for about 10 years, and then came out here in 13, 14 was my first year. So, um, which I remember interviewing here and talking to Coach Painter and Bloom, and <laughs> everyone was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about the team next year, and, and uh, you know, we think we got a pretty good squad, and I come in, I didn't have a lot of success at Navy with my team, and I got here and we finished 5-13 and 13 in the league, and we finished last place, and I, I swore it was me. I, I could have sworn it was me, and then obviously the last three years have been pretty special. But Well, um, one of the reasons that, we, that Chris came to interview was uh, we had an opening at the position, and um, Ed DeCellis, the coach yep. at Navy, who used to be at Penn State, 
um, and had a great relationship with Coach Painter. Um, he was one of the guys that, you know, fans might not may or may not know. You know, some some coaches in the league, when you're going head to head with guys, you're not necessarily close to him or talk to him a lot but there are certain guys that you just get to know from them going to big 10 conference meetings and things like that and uh, coach always talked a lot with coach DeChellis and was was one of the guys they were pretty cordial and he called and said hey I got a guy I saw you have an opening and I got a guy who'd be really good and that's kind of how that started as most openings happen in athletics it's kind of you know who you know and word of mouth but um, that's kind of how Chris was able to interview and and the rest is history, so to speak. So, and I, I, I have to admit, when you hearing you say you're from Iowa is a little weird. I've convinced myself that you're from Nebraska. It's kind of like the George Costanza. If you believe it, it's not a lie. <laughs> it, it, it just depends. I was, I lived there until I was four years old, so you know, I could be from Nebraska or Iowa. Well, one thing I want you to hit on is the uh, campaign for Caleb Swan again, and, and the National Player of the Year race. Um, you and the staff have put together an unbelievable website. Uh, we talked a little bit about it with Biggie when he was on a couple episodes ago, but talk a little bit about that, the effort that went into it, and where fans can find that website. So the website is Biggie4, the number 4, NPOY.com. Um, it's kind of been a collaborative effort with the marketing department. Michaela Pat over there kind of, I give her the information, she just plugs it in since she knows how to do that stuff. So, um, But it's been, you know, we thought about it probably in about mid-January. Uh, creating a website for this and I mean it's just been an unbelievable effort a place to go to for everyone um, we produced about a 20 minute video which I think is probably one of the best videos that an athletic department's ever produced of that nature um, it's just un- chronicling his story his rise um, his transformation just everything it's been an incredible video um, a lot of national media has picked it up and you know I think he's really gaining steam with it um you know, Gary Parrish from CBS has him number one in his race. Um, you know, he's mentioned in the top three with Frank Mason of Kansas and Josh Hart of Villanova as kind of the three main front runners. So, um, you know, he if he finishes strong here and has a good uh, Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament, I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't win it. Well, and there's so many National Player of the Year awards that they issue now that you would love to see him get one of them at least. Um, but you're right, a lot of national guys are endorsing him now. Jay talked about it on the podcast last time with us that um, his guy is, is Biggie right now and that way he would get his vote. He talked a little bit about the big man bias where it's harder and harder for big guys to get maybe the recognition that the guards get. But I think certainly... Uh, anytime we're on a national broadcast, that always helps more people tune in. I always, when I when I do look at Twitter, it's amazing if we play on the Big Ten Network versus ESPN, the amount of comments you get on the Twitter feed. A lot more national writers who I follow a lot on Twitter chime in with Purdue, you know, anecdotes on a nationally televised yeah. game. Um, and, and talk a bit about that, just your challenge to, you know, constantly get his name out and also working with, you know, you're working with local media, but also on the national scale as well. Well, the Big Ten does a great thing. They provide a email list. I mean, our email list is like 800 people long. And so after, you know, men, Mondays, I send out an update on Caleb Swan. Again, just, I mean, it's a full sheet. You know, I, I paste it in an email, but... It's a full sheet of stuff just highlighting his weekend and his stats this year and and everything to just get his name out there. So I don't know exactly who is on that email. I know there's a lot of national writers on it. Um, But, you know, just getting his name out there and just continuing to play well and and, uh, promote him. And, you know, I'll do a – after the games, I'll do a Twitter search for Caleb Swanigan. And the comments that people are making on him are – you know he's a beast. He's you know putting in work about you know all this stuff. So he um you know he's got his name out there, and I think you know is he if he keeps playing well, he'll he'll be there. And our final game of the season is Sunday, and it's against Northwestern. It's on CBS, and it's at four thirty. And football is done, and he's going to have a national stage without question, with a lot of stuff at stake here. Northwestern is trying to become the first Northwestern team ever to get into the NCAA tournament, and they're, in my opinion, uh, ha- have deserved to be there right, right now. Yeah, especially so, with the win last night yeah, against Michigan. Which was an incredible finish. 
But there, there's going to be a great atmosphere there Sunday, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on us, and, and we have something to play for. Now, if we lose, it's not going to it, it's going to hurt our seating, but it's not going to hurt may hurt our seating. It's not going to hurt our uh, buys or anything. You know, the double the double buy or the uh, where we're going to be seated. But having said that, this is still a huge stage for him, and you know he'll play within the game and how it comes to him, but a lot of eyes are going to be on him well, on if, Sunday. If, and if you look at the stories that have been written about him, I mean, it's been ESPN, Sports Illustrated, um, the ring, Mark Titus from The Ringer wrote an unbelievable how he's changed Purdue's perception and made Purdue into must-see TV. I mean, that's, you know, you can't ask for publicity like that. And it's, um, you know, he's going to be on – CBS Evening News on tomorrow night. It's coming or Friday night. It's coming out. So I mean, it's just wow. you know the stuff that that he's done and is out there with. You know he he's he's got his name out there. And I know it's got to be especially it's got to be fun for you. I know it's a, a lot less sleep during the course of a season, but I don't think when you're winning, I, nobody minds that at all. But just to be able to work with a guy who. And, and we've had him on this podcast, and I think everybody that listened to it, I got more comments of how impressed they were. He, the one challenge with him, he is a pretty quiet guy. Yeah, yes. And I know you will work with our players on how to deal with the media, how to talk to the media, how to present yourself um, you know, to the media. Um, but Biggie is always a, a little bit more difficult to get him to express you know his feelings and his thoughts on things he's more of a one-word guy yeah i've no i've noticed with him lately though um wish tv came down and did a story on pj thompson and they want to talk to biggie about pj and when he talks about his teammates he opens up so much more and he talks about them a lot more and about the team and then then if you ask him about himself it's just you know, if you need, like I've told you, if you need five words from him, he'll give you four. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, you know, that's just the way he is. I think he, he loves his teammates. He loves being a part of this team and he likes to talk about them. But when he talks about himself, he gets a little reserved. Yeah. Part of him wants to be the superstar. Part of him is, is reluctant to put himself out there like that, which is, I, I completely understand well, that. I mean, when you consider that. where he's come from, too. Absolutely. I mean, you can absolutely see that, you know, you could be guarded from that. All that experience that he's had growing up, I mean, that, that would, you know, make you a little bit reserved. And and the Sunday game at Northwestern, we've got the A crew on yeah, CBS. Yeah, Jim Nance, uh, Bill Raftery, uh, Grant Hill, and Tracy Wolfson. So, I mean, for Northwestern, that's got to be I mean that's well, and and Larry alluded to it when you know you know we've gone up there a lot. There's always the one thing we always count on at Northwestern is usually sold out, and the and the gym's not as big as some of these other gyms. But it's usually sold out, but also there's a lot of Purdue fans um, with the proximity to Chicago and everything, or, or to campus, and then obviously in Maybe Chicago. Maybe a tougher ticket this year. Yeah. Though. Well, it absolutely is, and in fact. Uh, uh, we bought a handful more, and they said, that's it, we're out. Because so. someone said, they, I read somewhere, someone said, well, there might be 2,000 Purdue fans there. And I said, oh, How about that, that might, this be, year. A, that might yeah. be a stretch. I mean, normally, yes. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think this year. And I think, really, if you... You know, if you put that those tickets on on the market, I think you'd be seeing yeah. a premium price uh, for that game. Absolutely, Sunday. I would think in Northwestern uh, for Northwestern fans, that'll be one of the the biggest demands they've ever had. Ever had, and 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 a great. Hopefully, it will be a great scene. I don't think there's any question about that. There'll be a buzz in that game yeah. and a buzz in that building that we've probably never seen in all our years of going up I there. Agree. So I'm, I think we're all excited for that game, and I think some of the fans have asked, you know, are, are they still gonna, you know, there's still a lot to play for. I think. I think we know that and i think well, everybody knows i always that. go back to my ohio state story in 80 what was it 88 and we clinched and we we're going to finish we we're 16 and one and we go to ohio state last game of the season and i kept saying before the game during the game and after the game well it really doesn't matter and thank goodness it was before social media because this way you had to either get a telephone call and it's hard to find where the old Cliz was in those days because I was evading every wife I ever had. But the, uh, the other thing was, the other thing was, was a letter. And I mean, they poured in. I mean, and, and, and the comments were all the same. You're dumb. 
We're playing for seeding. We're trying to be the number one seed in the country. You're stupid. You're dumb. I got tired of hearing <laughs> you. And Purdue lost that game. Then you get the letters, and it's four days after the oh, fact. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was not a good experience for yours truly because I learned my lesson. So, no, this game's really important uh, for us for a lot of reasons. So just as important as Northwestern. And I have another theory on this. I would... I, I think it's balanced out now because we've won the championship. But I've, I've really felt, I really felt coming into this last uh, few ball games that the people that were going to be hurting the most pressure-wise was going to be Michigan and Northwestern. Michigan responded. Northwestern can, and uh, but I still think they'll feel it. I think they'll feel knowing what they have to do. I think a lot of it's off. The pressure off be, having beaten Michigan, I yeah. feel I, like. Well, yeah, yeah you might. Yeah, I you feel might like right. they think they're in, but it's different to walk into your building with the stage that's going to be around but the corner. But they're going to play a ranked team, right? And they know, and they know if they can get this one, forget about maybe being in rem- or most yeah, likely yeah. being in. Well, I think. I they, think they're playing for seeding as well. Yeah. Oh, they're. Yeah. I mean, they're going to give a great. It's going to be an unbelievable effort by them. Right. You know, we're going to have to play really well against them to to beat them and that i think and coach has kind of hinted at that he hinted at in the middle of the season the middle of the big 10 season it might have been after the loss at nebraska he said you know you guys have to realize we're not walking into gyms anymore and it's just a game you know we're one of the big games on the schedule now you know when you have a ranked number next to your name which we have for two straight years now uh, you become that marked you know that bullseyes on your back so that's a it's certainly a role that the team has embraced this year and, and risen to the challenge several times uh, on the road and obviously with, with winning the Big Ten. So that's that's been a challenge that they've met. Um, okay, we're going to get to our, our final four here, final four questions with Chris Foreman. Chris, uh, what is your go-to music of choice? Oh, jeez. Boy, I, I like everything. Um, I really don't have a one type of music that i listen to not one art not one artist that you No, if you look at my spotify it's pretty it's pretty uh random so i used to like um guster back in the day i mean this was five years ago so um i'm pearl jam fan i like pearl jam uh but you know i don't i don't have one kind of i'm not a big country fan or anything if that matters so speaking of pearl jam i just saw an article that they embedded teddy greenstein with the uh, Chicago Tribune with some officials. Yeah, Bo Borowski. And Bo Borowski's seen the official in the Big Ten, Bo Borowski, Indianapolis native, has seen Pearl Jam 34 times yeah. in, in concert. I, I, I read that article that he was looking for him in the stands when he yeah. was up at Northwestern. Yeah, at Northwestern game, trying to check out, for, look for, on the eye for any better. That is something that uh, I have discovered uh, most recently. There are a lot of people, uh, and you're included, do have a, an association with one particular group that you're mad about, and any time you see anything or uh, any mention of it, you're you're quick to quote it. But you know, uh, Sean Morris was on our show, and yeah, with Leonard Skinner, and said how many, and he had it. His was up in the fifties, right? It was fifty-four. So, but there are a lot there are a lot of people that do that, and a lot of people who do it that you would never guess in a thousand years who they're associated with. I, I went to Pearl Jam and Wrigley Field this summer with a buddy of mine who lives in Montana, and he flew out to Chicago for both their shows, and he did it two years ago when they were in Wrigley. I mean, he's seen them like 45 times, and you're like, I mean, that's well, pretty cool. Tom Petty's my guy, and I'm going to see him in, Wrig- in Wrigley this summer. <laughs> I knew he'd mention it. <laughs> and I'm going to see him in Wrigley this summer, and I can be in the – there could be a tie game with five seconds to go, we'll have the ball, and I will feel – on the bench, cool as a cucumber, but you put me at a Tom Petty show and I turn into a ten-year-old just <laughs> running around screaming like a complete idiot. So <laughs> I know it's an, oh, it's, it's, an incre- yeah, it's an incredible. It is amazing what music does to you. Yes, it does. Okay, uh, what is? By the your... way, I got one in my head. I've had in my head for like two weeks, and you guys will both laugh. It's a Barbara Streisand song, and I can't, yeah. I, I can't, I can't. <laughs> I can't identify it, and it's and it's there. It's just constantly there, and I can't identify it. So, and I haven't gone to my account. Which well, is when you're Rhapsody. done, I I haven't gone to my account yet and figured out that I'm going to go look for it because what? I don't want anybody knowing 
that uh, I like Barbara. Well, what we're going to do is when we're done here, we're going to open up Shazam on our phones, and you can sing into it, and it'll identify what, ah! what song you <laughs> I think we should do that now. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be on the outtakes version. That'll be like on the HBO Overtime. You can go to that. Okay, uh, best or uh, latest book you've read? I've read – Um. so I'm, this, this is where I'm going to preface this by saying I'm into kind of – human struggle books which is kind of dark and morbid but um so there's this book i read called the worst hard time and it talks about the people in kansas that live through the dust bowl and so the like the grapes of wrath is about the people that left right to california and the worst hard time is about the people that stayed and it is it's fascinating just the things that these people went through because they they over farmed the land which created the dust bowl and like during like 1931, they were selling wheat for like minus four cents a bushel. I mean, think like you couldn't even give the wheat away because there was so much of it. And then they had this drought, and like I mean, they were this is dark. They were cutting like cows open, you know, to get food, and like it was just dust would just pour out. Oh and yeah, it, I, I mean, it, it's fascinating. It is unbelievable the struggles that and these people went through. Wrath, I mean, you just you know you hear about. Uh, the description of those places where they lived and they'd have one of those dust storms and they'd have they'd have dirt in their homes yeah. up t- i mean we're talking like foot deep yeah and uh, like right. you know they lived in these i mean mud shacks basically oh, in the middle of the prairie that, that's and there would be cracks and people would i mean they said that in the house the dust would be so thick they couldn't see from me to larry in their house and it, it, I, mean, I mean it's just about that would that. come in handy when you're with larry can't really. <laughs> and it, it, I mean, it's See, just it's fast. It's, Have you counted them? Yeah, yeah, it's like four or five yeah, right yeah. there. So, there but it, I mean, it's an incredible book. If you want to see, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. That's I did I didn't know that about you, you know. That, I, and then I like you know like into thin air, which is the story of the Everest climbers that yeah know, died up there on the mountain, but there were some that lived and human struggle. It's I it's what dark. That and, says about you. I don't know, but if there's any. There's any shrinks out there? Let us send us an email. Let us know what you think of Chris Foreman. Okay, what uh, profession other than than the one you currently have would you like to do? And it does not matter if you have the training or not to do this. Growing up, I wanted to be a meteorologist. <laughs> wow. I mean, I went. I my first semester, my first year of school, I went to school to be a meteorologist. Well, Larry did some TV work. If you need to make a few calls, oh, I had a lot of, I, when I was at the height of my career, I'd walk into a grocery store and they'd say, "There's the weatherman." <laughs> <laughs> right? Another yeah. avid viewer. That's either that's either uh, Mike Pickett, the news guy, or the weather guy. But it wasn't who I was. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd like. I mean, I'm fascinated by storms. Like, I'll sit on our, our back uh, patio and watch them roll and I, in. I'm just, I'm just the opposite. I'm scared to death I, of it. I get up in the middle of the night when it starts lightning, and I'll just sit and watch That's, it. I've noticed that. I've noticed a few uh, tweets about yeah, about yeah. clouds and storms that yeah. come from your uh, account quite yep. a bit. So, How about when you're at 30,000 feet and you're going through one? How uh, do you feel then? Incredible. Different? It's incredible. <laughs> oh, he loves yep. it. We'd go when I was younger. We'd go out. I mean, there'd be severe roll on the plains in Nebraska. In no, no, it's in the car, just on the gravel roads out there. But we, I mean, we'd go driving through them, looking for, looking for stuff. So is um, what's the Twister? Is that the big, the storm yeah, chase movie? I mean, well, wasn't that Bill Paxton? Wasn't they? Yeah, yeah, Bill the, Paxton. The, the late great yeah. Bill Paxton. Yeah, yep. and he's he's one of my he's one of my favorite. He is was a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Um, so did you like that movie? Big fan of that movie? Yeah, I mean, it was made up, but you know. Well, the concept, the con- Wizard of Oz, you must have loved this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to have some fun with this. we got all kinds of new material now for the Big Ten Tournament, NCAA Travel, the bus ride up to Northwestern. This is going to be fantastic. Okay, final question of the Final Four with Chris Foreman. What is one thing that nobody knows about you? I don't know if this is really about me. It's about my family. Um, but my brother runs a website that is probably one of the most recognizable sports websites out there called baseballreference.com. Um, he created that and you know it's funny we'll be on the road with announcers who a lot of them do baseball and I'll mention it to them and oh that's your brother that's incredible you know so that's Dan Schulman one of those guys? Yeah Dan Schulman was one Brian Anderson who's done some of our Big Ten Network games 
uh, Corey Pro. You know, there's a, quite a few out there. So they, uh, I mentioned that to them. They're like, here, here's my card. Have them call me. You know, stuff like that. And I got another one, too. The football field in my hometown, Manning I, was named after my father. Really? Yeah. That's He's very cool. He's coached there for like 35 years. So, and he uh, coached. What sports did he coach? Football. Was football just football? Well, football and track, but okay. it was named after him for football. So Outstanding. Obviously. So it's called Foreman Field? Foreman Field. Floyd Foreman Field. That's cool. That's really the Triple neat. F. Yep. Floyd checked this out in our game at Nebraska this he year. He did. If I remember he correctly. He, this, he says he's bad luck now, so I don't know how many. You know, we've had a few people that have said that they've <laughs> he, been bad luck, and it seems like they were on that Iowa-Nebraska swing this year. <laughs> they, they, they were out in Denver last year, too. So, And they left that stadium saying, I'm not coming back. And if you did that and you don't want to come back, we're fine with that. So, yeah. uh, Well, before we wrap things up here, I want to give a quick shout-out to Sylvia Booker, who uh, arranges all the talent that we have on our show. She's been on quite a roll and done a really good job. And, Chris, I'm sure you'll enjoy the fabulous gift basket that you'll get as you – leave the studio here we really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for all you do for the program thanks great having me on thank you all right so that was episode 15 here on the purdue basketball podcast episode 17 what i say 15 i don't know why i did that i'm looking right at 17 here golly I was just well, trying you're to, so busy just trying to tearing <laughs> us up that he, <laughs> he lost his train of thought <laughs> it's it's hard to balance all these things yeah huh? i know Okay, so that was episode 17 here so long, everybody. on the Purdue Boilerball Basketball Podcast. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. <laughs>